Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tellich Talks. I'm John Tellich here, longtime sportscaster in Cleveland, Ohio, and have had the opportunity over the course of many, many years to see records get broken, to see slumps end, and to see misery come to a close. And I've also had my fair share of watching athletes attain the greatest level of excellence that they have tried in their careers. And what we're talking about on this episode is the aspect of breaking boundaries, sports records that we think or that we have thought of as being something that perhaps will never be broken again. And I elicited some responses on social media, and I certainly thank you guys for joining in with the fun and giving me some suggestions. Let's take you back to 1954. Roger Bannister in England breaking the four-minute mile. It was, it was a mark that most people figured a human was incapable of breaking, and yet the world record for the mile has gone considerably lower than what Roger Bannister did on that cinder track in England back in 1954. And in baseball, a suggestion from Mark Estep. Uh, he, of course, is uh, one of my old buddies from Ashland College. He says, DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak you recall the hitting streak ending in Cleveland, Ohio, as he went over the day way back during the prime of his career. And that 56-game hitting streak is certainly, I don't think, ever going to be uh, eclipsed by anybody in Major League Baseball. But perhaps one of the greatest feats in history goes back to Johnny Vandermeer, who pitched not just one no-hitter, he pitched two no-hitters in a row, and that will never be broken. So thanks to my man John and Menner and Roy Coxon, both you guys, for suggesting that. Also, Pat McCabe brought it up, and Bernie Berry, one of the great five-size from Ashland College. Cy Young winning 511 games. Come on, folks. You know, you know that is never, ever going to be broken. I mean, it's a very tough task to have a major league pitcher in this day and age win 300 games, much less going to 5'11 that Cy Young was able to accomplish. So thanks, Jim Isabella, longtime radio guy and a good friend, and Mark Walter for suggesting that. The streak that Cal Ripken Jr. was able to compile, the consecutive streak, the Iron Man in Major League Baseball, that alone is going to stand and withstand the test of time. Both Tom Essie and Tom Thompson were kind enough to send along their thoughts about that. And do you think anybody is going to eclipse what the Golden Bear did on the links? Jack Nicklaus with his 18 majors, we certainly chronicled the rise of his career to the point where he even at age 46 was able to win the Masters Championship, one of the greatest moments in sports history. And I think we all thought the Tiger had an inkling, a leg up, a possibility of steamrolling right past Jack Nicklaus, but then he had his off the golf course problems 
the big scandal, and then all those issues he had with his back and his knees. And so right now, Tiger's just trying to find himself, get back to the way that he used to be, much less I think it's just too much to ask for him to tack on a few more majors to eclipse what Jack Nicklaus did. So I'm going to say right now that Jack Nicklaus and those 18 majors, I think that's going to be a safe one, no doubt. The two-hour marathon. I had the opportunity in 1979 to go to Boston, Massachusetts and cover the Boston Marathon while I was a sports reporter in Buffalo. I was running marathons back in those days and it was great to kind of chronicle the the runners from the Buffalo area as they were in Boston uh, doing their thing there. There's a great running community in Cleveland which you will learn in subsequent episodes of this podcast and many of those folks from the Cleveland area continue to run at Boston. But I can recall uh, back in 1979, it was not as huge as it is right now, but Billy Rogers, who had a running store actually in the city of Boston, one of the favorite sons, if you will, and he uh, crushed it. I think he did like 209 something, and uh, that was an incredible time at the time. And then nowadays we have individuals approaching two hours. I think it's two hours and two minutes. So still have a long way to go. And I think, I'm not sure the human body is capable of getting below two hours, but certainly uh, we're going to be in for a ride. That is a possibility as we move further along here as well. How about UCLA? They had an 88-game win streak. The UCLA Bruins, coached by the legendary John Wooden. You had the greats of that school back in the late 60s and early 70s that had uh, the tremendous uh, win streak that went up to 88 games. And, of course, uh, it began. Uh, they they started their win streak back in 1971. Uh, that year, they were defeated by Notre Dame, and that team included the great Austin Carr, who is now one of the broadcasters for the Cavaliers and one of the Cleveland Cavaliers' all-time great players. But back then, when it was Notre Dame upsetting UCLA in 1971, UCLA answered and went off and won 88 games in a row until 1974, when Notre Dame was able to do it once again and knock Bill Walton and company from the annals of the uh, the the records of 88 straight games. That's absolutely incredible. Also, want to thank a couple of guys who suggested the two-hour marathon. That would be Bill Wagner and also Abe Gordon. But if I may, I'd like to think a little bit more about breaking boundaries and not necessarily steer it directly in the path of what we would say would be the conventional sports, the football, the basketballs, the hockeys, the tennis, and the like. I want to turn your attention to a young man, 34 years of age, Colin O'Brady. He's from the Pacific Northwest. And he was a, an average high school athlete. He was a swimmer. He did indeed go f to the East to college and did compete on a uh, scholastic, or I should say a collegiate level, 
in swimming, but after college, he was uh, on a vacation in Thailand. He was going all over the world, just kind of finding his way, if you will, and had a horrible accident where he burned about 25% uh, of his body and mostly his legs and his feet. And while he was uh, recovering in Thailand, he was told by the doctors there that he would never run again. But through the sheer force of his determination and great inspiration from his mother who just refused to allow him to wallow in pity and sorrow, he started to get stronger and then thought one day he'd like the goal of competing in a triathlon. And that's what he did. It started with just getting out of the wheelchair and making two steps to a chair and then three steps and four and then five and more. And before you knew it, he was ready to compete in a triathlon. And the most incredible story is that he competed against 4,000 other people in his maiden triathlon in Chicago, and he won the doggone thing. He won that, became a professional triathlete on the spot, and hence he embarked on an endurance career that you would figure would be something you could ride into your mid-30s to your early 40s because there is a lot of athletes in the endurance sports that are that age and are still very, very effective. But Colin, always chasing some type of an adventure and some type of a challenge, decided he wanted to do a little bit more with his life. And so he got more into adventure races, if you will, uh, things that he could do against other adventure people around the world and hence he did things such as climbing the seven summits and also going to the south pole and the north pole he set the world record for the fastest uh, uh, i guess you would say just the idea of climbing the highest peaks on the seven continents including summiting mount everest summiting the great mountains in South America, North America, and so on and so forth around the world. And still, even with that accomplishment or those accomplishments, he wanted more. And so in 2018, he devised the opportunity and the plan to go all the way across Antarctica. It's more than 900 miles, really close to a thousand miles. And he would do this self-supported and try to be the first person in history to go across Antarctica self-supported without the aid of, you know, any wind or anything of that nature, basically himself and a sled that he would pull along with all of uh, his worldly possessions. He had a sled that weighed about 360 pounds and within that 360 pounds, he had oil, that he would use to obviously to heat the uh, snow so he could drink. Uh, he had these specially made bars that were engineered to have the right amount of fats and proteins and what have you that he could uh, sustain himself. And then he also had to worry about just the dangers going forth into an unknown land. Basically, Antarctica is a desert, but it's snow covered and icy and the winds that howl on Antarctica are among the fiercest 
in the world. In fact, just the cold that he would have to deal with is it's mind boggling and mind numbing, if you will. And so I thought I would just bring in my fellow Fox 8 buddy, Scott Sable, our meteorologist, one of our great meteorologists here, and just give us a, a little bit of an instance where you can think about the ramifications of going up against so much cold. And uh, here's what he had to say about it. So here's the deal. Um, I'll give you an example real quick of, of, of some of the weather that we dealt with here. And then to put it into perspective when you're dealing with wind chill and temperature. So let's say the temperature outside is five below and the winds are 20 miles an hour. That'll give you a wind chill of minus 30, which is actually close to what we had. Actually, it's a little warmer than what we had back during that Arctic outbreak in February. So minus five, wind of 20, wind chill of minus 30. Um, anything below minus 25 to minus 30, you can get frostbite, meaning your skin freezes in 15 minutes. So that's here in northern Ohio. That's basically what we had to deal with earlier in the year. So imagine, like what you were saying, a wind chill of minus 80. You're dealing with temperatures that are, you know, 50 below zero. He would have to be very careful not to expose his skin for more than maybe 25 or 30 seconds. Um, because he could de easily deal with his skin freezing real quick. So he has to be very careful not to expose even just a little bit of skin. Again, he's looking at probably 30 to 45 seconds. He could get frostbite on anything that, that's exposed um, in those temperatures that you had mentioned. So hopefully that helps you out a little bit. JT, hopefully all is good. I'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot for your input, Scott. Suffice to say, it was incredibly cold, and there was the danger for Colin O'Brady that if he were to have his tent blow away while he's trying to set it up each and every night, and we're talking about more than 50 days, I think 54 days is what he ended up doing this on. If he were to have his tent blow away, he would be pretty much a goner. And adding some spice to this whole situation was there was a gentleman from Britain who was also uh, competing against him. They started at the exact same time and then raced against each other. Suffice to say, each and every night, he would have to set up his camp. He would take care of all of his, uh, his personal hygiene and what have you and would dare to not get too warm because you don't want to be sweating profusely because then things would freeze on your body if you didn't have the proper wicking with the, uh, the, the clothes that you were wearing. And so he would not have to overexert himself and also become to the point where he was in a deficit in terms of the, the, the food that he was taking in and losing weight. He added a, a good chunk of weight before he went on this trip and then got to the point where after adding 18 to 20 pounds, he lost about 15 as this c uh, continued along its way. And what I thought was incredible about him finishing this scenario was that he was about 77 miles from the end of the journey, and that normally would be a, about a two to three day uh, window to accomplish that kind of, uh, of uh, mileage, if you will. And you also also have to bear in mind he was going up to elevations of nine to ten thousand feet at certain parts of Antarctica. So not just dealing with a flat plain and easily groomed um, cross-country ski uh, tracks to follow. He was going on virgin uh, territory, if you will, and making his way across Antarctica. And so 
on the last day or so, he decided to go for broke. And over the span of 32 hours, he reached as deep as he could reach. And he had all the mental and physical reserves in his body pulling together in order for him to accomplish the feat and to finish off that uh, the great um, accomplishment of getting all the way across those 900 plus miles, nearly 1,000 miles, in order to be the first man in history to, to do what he did. And he's not stopping there. He has a foundation. He's thinking about more than the, just the greater good, if you will, more than his personal accomplishments, and just seems like a great adventurer, sportsman, and a guy who wants this world to be a better place, but is using his body in order to get his messages across. And so I think that's a phenomenal athletic achievement. It took great endurance. It took planning. It, it took uh, logistics. It took him to be a guy with a great deal of perseverance and uh, obviously a whole bunch of courage because of the dangers of the cold and the elements that he was dealing with. So he accomplished that and now he's setting his sights on other journeys that he would like to do and I think he's just a great sportsman and I think when you talk about the great athletes or individuals who have uh, gone up against insurmountable odds and have had the courage to try uh, something of this nature and then to succeed uh, it just really does get all of the admiration I have uh, possible for him. So that's one guy who done something that's not necessarily the conventional sports accomplishment, if you will. And there's another guy I want to talk to you about in our next episode. And I think his story is as fascinating as they come. And we'll get into that when we join you the next time around for another edition of Tellich Talks. Again, if you have enjoyed our episodes, this is only the seventh one we've done in the series. We're going to continue to do those. We want your feedback, your thoughts on uh, what we are doing here. And certainly, if you have the opportunity, subscribe to the podcast and rate it if you can. We certainly would appreciate any positive feedback that you have. So in the next episode, we'll meet an individual who's become more of a, a worldwide attraction because of what he did on the athletic, uh, of the, what he did as a sportsman in his own right uh, this past year. And also we'll talk about some other records that perhaps may never be broken as well. But until we see you next time, thanks very much for listening. This is John Telich signing off. Another edition of Telich Talks.